all know me, know how I earn a living. This shark, swallow you whole. I value my neck a lot more than 3,000 bucks, Chief. Find him for three, but I'll catch him and kill him for ten. Ten thousand dollars for me by myself. For that you get the head, the tail, the whole damn thing. You yelled shark. We've got a panic on our hands on the 4th of July. Mr. Vaughn, Mr. Vaughn, I pulled a tooth the size of a shot glass out of the rectal of the boat out there, and it was the tooth of a great white. A what? You're gonna need a bigger boat. Love to prove that, wouldn't you? Get your name into the National Geographic. Now, I'm not saying that this is not the shark. It probably is, Martin. It probably is. It's a man-eater. It's extremely rare for these waters. But the fact is that the bite radius on this animal is different than the wounds on the victim. there to the Jaws Obsession. Welcome back. Episode 40, where we are here to share with you, prove to you, convince you, or remind you that Jaws is the greatest movie of all time. Thank you, everyone, for returning to this 40th episode of the Jaws Obsession, the Jaws Secret. What is the Jaws Secret? We've aimed to bring Jaws analytics to new heights on the Jaws Obsession, and we've always tried to show Jaws in a new light, and we don't want to disappoint for episode 40. Have you ever noticed how fast Jaws moves? just the pacing of Jaws, how the pacing is relentless. And it's it's a movie that you can just come in on at any moment and it just pulls you right in. Now, there is a reason for that. If we break it down in an analytical way, there is a reason why Jaws moves so fast. And we are going to get to the bottom of that here in this episode. The Jaws obsession, it's not just a one-man show. There are a lot of things going on behind the scenes. And a lot of it is you, the listener out there, helping to push it out to new listeners. I always get contacted all the time now with people that just realize that there is the Jaws obsession and they're smash listening to all of the back catalog that we have here and I want to thank everyone out there for their support and also for your encouraging emails. I'm going to try to write back to everybody, when, uh, and I promise I do. But the encouragement I'm feeling, your encouragement and support that you are sending my way means a ton, especially around this time. I, the excitement is building. I can feel it. I can feel it through how you, the listeners, are writing and also how you are. I'm watching the download numbers just increase. Our last episode, episode 39, 
broke the record for downloads in a week. And it's great to see the audience growing. We're still, episode one and episode two are still very popular. Every month, it proves that there are new listeners coming to the Jaws Obsession every week. And it's exciting to see there's a lot of excitement building with the Book of Quint. The anticipation grows. So thank you very much for the encouragement and the support. I, I very much appreciate that. Let's get into this because we are going to get very analytical here. And we're going to break down Jaws like you've probably never heard it broke down before. In order to understand why Jaws is the greatest movie of all time, we have to break it down and we have to show you what it does differently than pretty much every movie that's ever been made. We have to go down to a screenplay level. Now, much of my youth was spent at late night diners analyzing movies and talking about plot elements in movies. Probably too much time was spent there with friends and we had a great time uh, always discussing the intricacies in screenplays and film theory. I don't want to get too lost into that, but in order to show you what the Jaws secret is, we have to go into some of those mechanics of a screenplay. So what I have here is in my training and my past writing experience through screenplays, one of the books that was essential was the book that I'll be referencing today. The book is called The Screenwriter's Bible, A Complete Guide to Writing, Formatting, and Selling Your Script. Okay, that was by written by David Trottier. I have the revised edition, so I'm running off of the 1995 edition. But uh, this author, he really broke down uh, what do all movies have in common is there is a formula to all movies that have been made for uh, for decades. I know that a lot of people like to look at the artistic side of things, but for the most part, a screenplay does have a certain formula. It follows a certain formula. Um, I'm not going to get too lost into three-act structure and all that stuff like that. But what I want to point to you is that there are usually, pretty much in every movie, has six beats. Six beats that it has to follow in order to have a narrative arc, okay, a dramatic arc. So I'm going to be referencing off of page 116 and 117 of the Screenwriter's Bible here. Now, one of the special things you have as a listener to the Jaws Obsession is we don't really do, we don't really do video here. What we are is it's just a straight audio podcast, and I really do have a belief in audio podcasts that we are exercising your visualization talents by just being audio. So you hear what we describe or I play you a scene and then you're visualizing that happening because you have all seen Jaws many times. What's exciting about that is that we can go do episodes like this where I'm going to describe an action and you're, and you're going to be able to visualize that. So what I want everyone to visualize now is I want you to visualize a roller coaster. Just starting out slow, it goes up the hill and it reaches the, the climax. It reaches the, the peak of the hill on the track and then it comes screaming down in a falling action and then it bottoms out and it goes straight, okay? So just visualize that hill. Now, what most movies do is they have one hill, one dramatic arc, so you can like you call it a plot curve. There are many different different ways to describe this, but I just want you to think of that up curve, that peak, and then that down. So there are six points, six beats that every movie usually follows. And what uh, David Trottier describes in his book here, he breaks those down into six beats, catalyst, big event, pinch, crisis, showdown, and realization. 
So I'm going to go through these really quick, his descriptions, and I'm going to point to examples of two movies that pretty much we all should know really well. If you're a fan of Jaws and you're a fan of the Jaws obsession, odds are you've seen one of these two movies, Star Wars and Back to the Future. You've probably seen them both and you probably know them very well. So that's why when I give these examples from uh, these beats and I give examples from these two movies, then we should all be on the same page when we tackle Jaws in part two of this broadcast. So he writes here, he says, here are the critical events virtually all dramas and comedies will have. So he calls them critical events. I consider these beats. And when a movie hits its beats, you can see that you can see the gears turning. You can see the, um, the story progressing. So he goes on to say the critical events in virtually all dramas and, and comedies. Number one is the catalyst. So your story starts out in balance, but the catalyst upsets that balance, giving the central character a desire, problem, need, goal, mission, or something to do. So the story now has direction and movement. For Star Wars, the catalyst is Luke finds the message on R2-D2 from Princess Leia, help me Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope. That gives the central character something to do. So up until that point, life was normal for Luke, and now he's thrown into something where he's got to, it gives him a goal or a mission. He's got to go find Obi-Wan. And back to the future, Doc Brown calling Marty and telling him to meet him at Twin Pines Mall to video an experiment of his. That's the catalyst that takes Marty out of his normal everyday routine and gives him something to do. So it starts to it gets the ball rolling. So if you can imagine you're sitting in that roller coaster and now the, the that's what make that's what move, starts pushing the roller coaster up the hill. So now the roller coaster starts going up the hill. That leads us to the second critical event or the second beat, which is the big event. Now what Mr. Trottier writes is that the big event is an event that changes your central character's life in a big way. In Star Wars, this was when Luke's uncle and aunt are killed by the stormtroopers, and he decides to leave with Ben Kenobi and become a Jedi. So that's the big event. That's the event that changes the character's life in a big way. And Back to the Future, you guessed it, the big event would be Marty traveling back to 1955 with no way to get back. The character's life is transformed in a big way, okay? So that's the big event. That would be beat number two. That all, And remember, all movies follow this same pattern. You just have to find, you, you kind of got to feel around in there, and then you can kind of see what's going on, because this is how screenplays have been created for uh, decades and decades. The third beat would be the pinch, about halfway through the script, there is another major plot twist. This is often a point of no return for the central character or the moment when the character becomes fully committed or when the motivation is strengthened or becomes clear. So halfway through, there's a major plot twist in Star Wars when they get trapped in the Death Star and they decide to rescue the princess. That's the major plot twist. There's That's going to send a point of no return. There's no way getting out now. Now there, it's, it's, it's do or die at that point. And Back to the Future, Marty realizes he has to make his parents fall in love or he gets erased from existence. So that's the do or die moment. It's the point of no return. That means he's committed. He's got to go and he's got to try to get uh, George McFly to fall in love with Lorraine. Usually it's around halfway through the movie. And that's the big plot twist that happens in those two movies. The fourth critical event is the crisis. Okay, the crisis is the event that forces a crucial decision. Often it is simply the low point in the story or when the movie, when, the moment when all looks lost. 
So what point in Star Wars would be, would be the crisis when all hope is lost? That's obviously when the Obi-Wan Kenobi is killed by Darth Vader. And Back to the Future, that moment is when Marty gets kidnapped by Biff's gang and thrown into the trunk of the car, and Biff has captured Lorraine in the car, and we are and and at that point all looks lost it looks like the whole plan is going to fall apart that marty's not going to get his parents to fall in love and he's then going to get erased from existence and it doesn't matter if he goes back into the future so that's a, that's the critical point that is the fourth beat of those movies the crisis point now the crisis will then lead to the showdown the showdown is commonly called the climax so if you think about it the uh, catalyst, big event, pinch, and crisis where we are moving up the roller coaster hill, and now we are at the top. Now, the top is the showdown, okay? That's that's the climax. And um, David Trottier writes in the Screenwriter's Bible that this is when the central character and opposition characters square off. So that's the, the, that's the big showdown. That's the climax. So right there is now you're at the peak of the roller coaster hill, and now at that point you're going to start a big fall and it's usually really fast it's a downward it's a falling action it's going to be downward so now the plot just takes a complete no intense nosedive now uh, in star wars that would have been the final battle with the rebels versus the death star that's the big build up that's the big climax that's the big showdown and back to the future george mcfly confronts biff and Marty gets his parents to fall in love. That's that big showdown right there. It's where uh, George McFly decks Biff, and uh, that's what all that leads to. That's the rising action leads to that point, and then everything else is falling action after that, is trying to get to the sixth and final beat, which is the realization. It's usually just after the showdown or during it, so the audience realizes that the central character has grown, changed, or figured something out. This is the realization point of all movies have this. This is where you step outside of the characters, and you're now, as an audience member, you are watching the, a transformation. You have watched a transformation of your main character from the start of the movie all the way to the end, and it's the realization point usually it's done in that falling action before the movie comes to a conclusion. So if you can imagine the roller coasters coming screaming down the track, down on the other side of that hill, for Star Wars, Luke learns to let go and use the Force. That's the realization moment. In Back to the Future, Marty realizes he changed the future and his parents and family are all successful and Doc is still alive. So that's the realization as it's coming down the tracks and just pulls into a conclusion, comes into that and, and the, the track levels off. So in those movies, you have just hit all six beats and you've gone on that arc up to the climax and then you had your falling action back down. So everybody realized that that's every movie pretty much. I'm... You'd be hard-pressed to find movies that do not, but the movies that do, that if they're going to be a successful movie and it's going to be an entertaining movie, and I'm not, let's pull out of the art house stuff, but those movies will follow this formula because that's how you efficiently uh, tell a story in a designated amount of time. That it would be the what David Trottier describes the six the six critical events that virtually all dramas and comedies have. Now that we know those six beats, everyone usually focuses on three act structure and how the how those six beats occur throughout those three acts. I want everyone to forget about that. We're not even going to talk about that stuff because that is pretty, I don't want to get lost in the weeds on all that when trying to understand Jaws because Jaws completely 
breaks the mold of every of everything I just said. Jaws breaks the mold in a very intricate way. And you miss out on that improbable genius that resulted throughout this chaotic making of Jaws, what resulted through not only Spiel, uh, Steven Spielberg's direction, but in Verna Field's editing. Remember, Verna Fields won an Oscar for the editing on Jaws, and rightfully so, because she did something with Steven Spielberg that's unheard of here, and we're going to get into that. The reason why Jaws moves and never slows is because there are two sets of six beats in Jaws. You can call them halves. You can call them acts. I call them part one and part two. Each half, each part of Jaws, part one and part two, Jaws, you can literally, you can divide Jaws almost by the hour. And we're going to get into that. The first half has six beats and the second half has six beats. So Jaws has 12 beats where almost all movies have only six. And it usually takes two hours to get to all, all six of each movie. In Jaws, in two hours, you get through 12. So you have two roller coaster rides in Jaws, two arcs, you have two climaxes, two resolutions. It's extremely unique. It breaks the mold and it's why other movies cannot replicate its attraction and its magic. Now, if we understand this format that Jaws was edited through, is it possible to recreate that format? Yes, it is. So let's, let's now apply these six beats and my theory of two halves, so really you have six in part one and six in part two. Let's jump into Jaws and we're gonna break that down right now. All right, so when Jaws starts out, life is normal, uh, it's in balance and something's got upset that, that balance. So we gotta get to a catalyst. Come on in the water! Take it easy, take it easy. At four minutes and five seconds is when we actually have the first hit on Chrissy by the shark. In David Trottier's book, The Screenwriter's Bible, he says this usually, this part usually comes at page 10 or 15 in the script. And the general rule of thumb in screenwriting is you have one minute a page. So usually by about 10 to 15 minutes into the movie, you're going to hit your catalyst. But in Jaws, Jaws, we already are on the move. We hit this catalyst at four minutes and five seconds. Already something happens that upsets the balance of the movie, and that would be the shark attacking Chrissy. That leads to the big event. That's right. You guessed it. The big event would be Alex Kittner is getting killed by the shark. And usually most movies will hit this part by page 20 or 30 in their screenplays. So that would be by minute 20 or to minute 30, you're going to hit that big event. In Jaws, we're already at this, this big event in 17 minutes and nine seconds. So we're already, so Jaws is already either, by depending on how you look at it, it's already either three minutes or 23 minutes faster than most other Hollywood movies of all eras. Now we have to move on to the third beat, which is the pinch. We have to hit a major plot twist that gets, and it's usually halfway through the script. But this pinch, this major plot twist happens at 44 minutes and 30 seconds. Whew. That's it. Gotta close the beach, call the mayor. Got a bigger problem than that, Morton. You still got a hell of a fish out there with a mouth about this big. So right there is the revelation that the shark is still alive and it's bigger than anyone realizes. 
And this is where the character becomes fully committed. So now we have Brody is 100%, Chief Brody is 100% convinced the shark is still out there. And he says, got to call the mayor, got to close the beaches. So he's all in now. He's done being convinced that there was, uh, that the shark, the tiger shark was the culprit. He's done being convinced that the, uh, the beaches only need to be closed for 24 hours. He's all in. And so is Matt Hooper. So that's the major plot twist here, uh, that the shark is still alive. 44 minutes and 30 seconds. So the fourth beat that Jaws is now going to hit is the crisis, an event that forces a crucial decision, the low point, point where all looks lost. August? For Christ's sake, tomorrow's the 4th of July, and we will be open for business. It's going to be one of the best summers we've ever had. Now, if you fellas are concerned about the beaches, you do whatever you have to to make them safe. But those beaches will be open for this weekend. So there we are. We had the failure to conv convince the mayor to close the beaches. You had the uh, discover this discovery of Ben Gardner's boat and, the, and his body. You had the white shark tooth, and they failed to convince the mayor, and all looks lost. You have Hooper sitting on his rock after losing the, the intellectual battle with the mayor. All looks lost. They're, they're, it's inevitable that something bad is going to happen. So this is the point where uh, that, that forces the crucial decision, the eternal question, how will they survive this? How are they going to get out of this without anybody getting hurt? So that's why this is a bona fide crisis. So what happens is, is that now we've, we've been on that roller coaster and we've gone all the way up. We've got, we had the Chrissy attack as the catalyst. We have the Alex Kittner attack as the, uh, as the big event. The pinch is, oh no, it's not the shark. The, the, we, we dissected the tiger shark. We have a bigger shark out there than anyone realizes. Now it's the crisis. Whoa, we've just discovered another body. And now the mayor says, no, those beaches will be open for this weekend. Now we are at the top of the roller coaster hill, and now we need a showdown. What's that showdown? You guessed it. That showdown is the tourists on the beach on the 4th of July. And that comes in at minute at 54 minutes and 46 seconds where all the central characters and opposition characters are going to square off. So you have the mayor and his army of tourists are coming up against Brody and Hooper and their army of shark spotters, coast guard, uh, coast guardsmen and lifeguards. So that you have a big showdown on the beach. What's going to happen now? As a viewer, as a viewer, you're going. You've built up to this, and this is the part where now that roller coaster is going to hit that downward hill, and we're all going to put our arms up and just have fun on the ride. That's what this movie is doing to us. It's taking you down the hill. Now we hit down that hill. We fire down that hill. We get. We have a false alarm. We have the shark fin brothers with their phony fin. Uh, then we have the real shark, and the shark goes into the estuary, and you have Brody's son involved, and the the the, the poor scout leader uh, gets taken out on the red boat. And just after the showdown, right, according to J David Trottier in the Screenwriter's Bible, just after the showdown, now you need a realization. So what's the realization here is the audience realizes that the central character has changed. And that's going to take us to the scene in the hospital, which is a very important scene in Jaws, because that scene in the hospital is where Brody confronts the mayor. Now, this is very interesting here. That's at 104, one, one hour and four minutes and 56 seconds. It's almost a, now Jaws is a two hour and three minute movie. So this is 
almost halfway through the whole movie, we are now having the realization. We are having the point where Brody has changed. He has now realized he is going to take it, take it into his own hands to get the mayor to sign the form to hire Quint. So at one hour and five minutes and 10 seconds, Brody closes the curtain. And a pen, Larry? Yeah, a pen, you know. Because you're going to do what you do best. You're going to sign this voucher so I can hire a contractor. He closes that curtain, and Brody is essentially closing the curtain on the first part of the movie. Does anyone ever remember the old movie theaters? There would actually be a curtain that opened and closed on the screen. In the real old theaters, when they had these epic long movies the epic length movies, they would have an intermission in the middle. So the curtain would close and you'd have an intermission and you'd have music playing. Everybody could get up and get some popcorn. What's going on here now is he closes the curtain on the first first part of the movie. And this is the realization point where that he is going through a change and we are realizing, bro, we are seeing Brody go through a change where he is now, it's gone, it's now personal, it's gone, his family is involved and now he's going right at the mayor, he's, he's just forcing his hand to sign the contract. At exactly one hour and six minutes, Brody says, Sign it, Larry. So at one hour and six minutes, Chief Brody says, sign it, Larry. And then at nine seconds later, he signs it. You hear the scribbling of the signature. Nine seconds later, he swings that curtain open. And at that point, he swings that curtain open on part two of Jaws. So there's a whole new roller coaster ride begins. The first roller coaster ride now has bottomed out. And now we are going up the hill again. Now we have a new movie. We have a new ride to go on. That's, what, that's what's going on here is that so in little over one hour, in a little over one hour, Jaws has already taken us on six beats where other movies take one and a half to two and a half hour, hours to get through all six beats. Jaws just went through six in one hour and six minutes and nine seconds. That's unbelievable. Okay, and that's why people go, wow, Jaws moves so fast. Exactly, because now you just pretty much watched a whole movie drama within the first half. Now we have a whole new ride to go on. And Brody opening up the curtain is opening up to part two of the movie. So in the new normal now is we have a shark. It's somewhere out there. And we have three guys that are going to go get it in their own way. So now we need a catalyst. We need some sort of catalyst that disrupts that new normal. That new normal, which is the three guys are out in the water. They're bickering. They each got jobs to do. Brody's throwing chum in the water. He doesn't like it. Hooper drives the boat chief. Uh, Hooper arguing with Quint about if it's a game fish or if it's a shark. That's just um, setting the stage for the catalyst because now we need a catalyst to start that roller coaster going up the hill. The roller coaster really isn't, it's still, it's still going in a straight line now. We're, still, we're just observing these men just doing what they're doing on a, it's almost routine. This would be a routine shark hunt for Quint. He's just acting like, well, this is just, I've been on these before. I've done this many times before. The catalyst comes in exactly 15 minutes at 121 and zero zero. So at one hour and 21 minutes 
on the at the on the 15 minute nose. So this was Verna Fields going, no, I can't go over 15 minutes because rule of thumb is usually the far end of to that to get to that catalyst is usually according to David Trottier, Screenwriter's Bible, is 10 to 15 pages. So that's 10 to 15 minutes. Usually an editor and a good director will only give themselves 10 to 15 minutes to get to that catalyst. And we have exactly 15 minutes after the after Brody opens up that curtain, we are now onto the first, the catalyst, the appearance of the shark. Slow ahead. I can go slow ahead. Come on down and chump some of this shit. might be one of the most iconic catalysts of all time. Why is it the catalyst? Why does this upset the balance of everything? Because it is the biggest shark any of them have ever seen. And a whole new goal and a whole new mission has started. It's not just a routine hunt at this point. It is something new for Quint. It's something new for Hooper. Look at all the reactions. It's obviously something new for Chief Brody. So this is the catalyst that now launches our roller coaster cart what starts going up the track. So now we start traveling up the track. Now, what's cool about this point is that it, since it took 15 minutes to get to the catalyst, it's only going to take four minutes to get to the big event. And that big event is Quint gets the first barrel in the shark. At that point, that first barrel goes in at one hour and 25 minutes. And this is only nine, at the 19th minute of part two. So since Brody opened that curtain up, it's only 19 minutes since then that he now he they get one barrel in the shark. And that, as the screenwriter Bible says, that big event is an event that changes your central character's life in a big way. So why is that a big event? Why is getting the first barrel in the shark the big event of part two? Well, Quinn explains that right here. What, what do we do now? We win, right? We've got one barrel on him, so we stay out here till we find him again. Yeah, but we could radio in and get a bigger boat out here. So that's the big event that changes the character's life in a big way. They got one barrel in them, and they got to stay out here till we find them again. As we established in the Jaws in episode 16, the Jaws timeline, that they this was their second day being underway. This makes it so they can't go back in. They got to stay out there. So that's the big that's the big event. And now we need to get to a pinch. What would be halfway through part two? What would be the major plot twist? What is off? What is the? What would be the point of no return for the central characters? The moments where the characters become fully committed. That would be this part right here. Coast Guard, this is the Orca. Do you? Excuse me, Chief. That's great. That's just great. So that would be the third beat of part two of Jaws would be the uh, pinch where is the radio smash. Halfway through, we have a major plot twist. This is the point of no return, remember. This is where the characters are fully committed. So what happens is, is that they are all on their own, that Quint made it so there is going to be no call for help. They are now all on their own. And this happens at 138, one hour and 38 minutes and 30 seconds into the movie, 
which is actually 32 minutes and 30 seconds into part two, since Brody pulled the curtain open in the hospital. 32 minutes and 30 seconds. So this is almost halfway through part two, the second hour of the movie. So we are now on that pinch. Now we're, we're going up. We're still going up the hill. We're going up the hill. Now we need a crisis. What's the low point of this part two? What would be the low point of this, this second roller coaster ride of Jaws? That comes at one hour and 49 minutes in the movie. All right, stop the boat. Stop the boat. Stop it. So the low point, the orca explodes. That's 43 minutes. That's 10 minutes and 30 seconds after the radio smash. The orca explodes, stranding our heroes. We did analyze how the orca explode. That was back in episode 10, uh, Who Broke the Orca? So the crisis point is going to force a crucial decision, as all crisis points in all movies will force a crucial decision by the char main character or main characters. This is the low point in the story. So uh, uh, the men are stranded. They have no way to call for help. And the crucial decision is Hooper has to go to the cage. So that that's from 40, that's the 43rd minute of part two. And we're almost there. Now we're at the top. Now we've gone up to the top of the second roller coaster hill, the second peak of this roller coaster called Jaws. We now need a showdown, and that showdown comes at one hour and 53 minutes in the movie, or 47th minute of part two. We now have Hooper and the men have built the cage, but now Hooper gets into the water and does battle with the shark. That's where the central character and the opposition characters all square off. So we now have our three heroes squaring off against the opposition character, which is now the shark. Remember, the opposition character actually, in, the, in many ways, in the first part was the mayor. So now it's the, it's really the shark. It's the shark versus the three men. So now that's our showdown. And that hap that starts once Hooper hits that water, uh, puts the mask on, and they lower the cage in, and he hits below the water line. Yeah, so this would be the beginning of our showdown right here. Uh, uh, Hooper versus shark, and then you have Quint and... Uh, Brody versus Shark topside after the cage gets decimated. And that moves us along to the realization. Now we need a realization. It's you and uh, from from our book here, it's just you it's the realization comes after the showdown or during it where we the audience realizes that our central character has grown changed or figured something out. This is where Brody is the last man standing on the orca. The orca's going down. He has, he climbs up to the top of the orca. And I always like this. We're going to get into this when we do another special, when we do another episode, but this is a very, this was very important when I was, um, when I was younger, this was one of my favorite sound effects in Jaws. Right there, those three, those four clicks that Brody does right there. Those four clicks on the rifle when he checks to see if it's loaded. 
that to me is the realization where Brody gets the M1 Grand Rifle and the pole spear and he climbs the mast. At that point, we see that Brody has figured it out. He has to do this himself. But in doing that, Brody, we see that Brody must use elements of all three men to kill the shark. He has to use Hooper's tank. He has to use Quint's rifle. And of course, Brody's trigger finger to kill the shark. That's the realization of this second part of Jaws, and it's spectacular because this is the part of the, this is as the movie comes, this is as our action on our roller coaster is screaming down after the showdown. So after Hooper sets in the water, now we have falling action. We're just coming down that hill, sharks attacking the cage, uh, Quint gets eaten, Brody battles the shark inside the orca, throws the tank into the mouth, and then he climbs up and the music starts and he just makes a determination as I got to go kill this shark one way or another. I got to put some bullets in it. And we're sitting there going, oh, my God, the realization is we all all three men, elements of all three men are coming together to defeat the shark. That's spectacular. And that's the realization as it comes down to, and that came in at the uh, one hour and 59 minute mark, 53 minutes into part two. After Brody opens that curtain on part two of the movie is when Brody, those four clicks of him checking the chamber to see if he has a clip in the M1. So the shark is killed at exactly the two hour mark for two hours and 14 seconds on the downward slope of our second roller coaster of this movie. So in two hours and three minutes, the movie comes to a conclusion, but Jaws takes us through 12 beats. We just proved that there are now 12 beats that are essential to drama. In the time most movies only take you through six, we get 12 from Jaws. Wow, greatest movie of all time. And that's one of the reasons why when you watch Jaws, you really are never bored. You never even go, you never have time to come down because you are on a constant roller coaster. You are on two roller coaster rides back to back. Wonderful filmmaking and editing, editing by Verna Fields. And these were all conscious decisions because we saw that there's, if you go through YouTube or if you go through the Blu-ray, there are many extra scenes in Jaws that were left on the cutting room floor because she had that in mind. I believe it was her and Spielberg both had agreements that you have to move this story. You have to go, go, go. And so they were constantly trimming the excess footage uh, whether it was Quint in the music shop buying the piano wire. We had outtakes of the discovery of Chrissy's body on the beach uh, with uh, Cassidy there. And we also had extra scenes in the screenplay that were not filmed. And if they were, they were just left out. So what we had was we had a conscious decision. This movie was made in the chaos that this, what happened is that this was not planned but this is what they had to work with. And they get, and why did they give us such a thrill ride is because they made the movie into two halves, two halves of a thrill ride. So do you have two thrill rides in one? Absolutely amazing. So now that we understand why Jaws moves so fast, what makes it so gripping, and what makes it completely unique from other movies, the formula of Jaws, the big secret was they had two parts, six beats in each part. 
That's the big secret of JAWS. So now that we know that, let's address the question is, what were the sequels missing? So sequels were obviously missing this element. The sequels just went to standard screenplay format. They just went to three X structure, six beats. That's it. And after something like this, they're going, it's impossible to follow up unless you copy the same formula, unless you do multiple roller coaster rides. By comparison, you're not going to measure up. And that's what the sequels were missing. Obviously, there was also writing deficiencies, and there was a other there were other elements that were missing from those sequels. But for the most part, they just went to standard Hollywood formula formula screenplay formula writing. Standard standard formulas the six-beat structure. So, so can JAWS be replicated? Now, remember last episode, we referenced an article over at CBR.com. If you go look at our show notes over at uh, the te on Telegram at JAWS OB, you can see that article. But the author said, he finished the article and he said, Spielberg and company delivered an astonishing film with JAWS that is, near that is damn near impossible to replicate on pretty much every level. Any attempts to recapture that magic seem destined to fall short in one way or another. Now, this is he, he, he is somewhat accurate in that is that if you try to recapture, if you try to recapture the magic of Jaws using conventional Hollywood writing or conventional movie theory, three-act structure, six beats, you will never recapture the wonderful, the, the gripping intensity that is Jaws because Jaws is two halves, six and six. So I disagree. I believe you can if you were to make a story that had rising action and falling action. You had multiple roller coaster rides. Now, most a lot of movies will sometimes, I don't know if you've ever noticed that, it's like um, some movies, they have great catalysts and big events but then they take forever to get to your pinch and crisis. Or they have too many beats up close to the front of the movie, and then it takes forever to get to the showdown. Or the showdown happens, and it takes forever to get to the realization. So uh, for one example was uh, Saving Private Ryan, is a lot of people always remember the beginning and the ending to Saving Private Ryan. You have the invasion of Normandy, and then you had the with the final battle in Saving Private Ryan at the end. But that middle middle part of the movie had a lull to it um, because what that movie was doing, it was trying to hit its beats and it was not, it, it couldn't get to, it was, there was, there was a lot. That's the art of filmmaking is that you're trying to get to those beats in the most efficient manner by st still not foregoing characterization and drama, but also not losing your audience or the momentum of the movie. So the intensity of some of those, mo of Saving Private Ryan at the beginning for the catalyst and the big event was so intense that afterwards, as they were trying to climb that roller coaster, you're ki you, you kind of get lulled into when are we going to hit that next beat. And what I, I find wonderful is that I'm reading on a lot of uh, reviews and blogs for uh, novelists and writers that people are focusing on beats more. They're focusing on hitting those beats and trying to get more into your story so you get more so you have a more engaging work to entertain your audience with. So that's what I would like to close with is that's this is the formula that I approached 
the book of Quint with is, is it possible to incorporate three roller coaster rides, one for part one, one for part two, and one for part three of the book of Quint and make it an intense, engaging, epic journey for the main character, can we actually engage that story and make it intense by giving him multiple arcs? So giving the audience multiple roller coaster rides. And that's one of the things that I really focused on when I was writing in the planning stage. When you're writing, when you take on a task like that, is with the Book of Quint, if we go back to episode 37 with the audiobook recording, of chapters 16 and 17. Essentially, chapter 16 is the realization, it's the come down from the roller coaster of part one. And even though those two chapters are both in part one of the book, and then chapter 17 is the catalyst, that's the catalyst for the new roller coaster ride that goes right into part two. So you come down on one hill of the roller coaster and you immediately hit the catalyst and you go right into the next climb. And I also did that again for part for, for parts two into part three. And and that will be for you to judge when you read the book. Did I was I successful in doing that? And when you visualize, when you when you read the book of Quint, that same intense roller coaster ride of drama, not necessarily action. Remember, it's not necessarily action. The, to get to those beats, you have to have characterization and you have to have moments where you're trying to build up and you're trying to work the story into the next beat. That's the art of it all. That's what I wanted to focus on because I thought a true prequel to Jaws should follow the same formula as the original movie Jaws. And that's what I hope to do. And that's what I feel that the Book of Quint accomplishes. It mimics this Jaws secret, the Jaws secret of pacing, multiple beats, multiple roller coaster rides inside one story. Show me the way to go. I'm tired. I Never get bored about talking. Never get bored of talking about Jaws here at the Jaws Obsession. And it's wonderful to always break that down and hopefully leave everyone with a better understanding of what makes this the greatest movie of all time. So it's exciting to share these little secrets that I enjoy when I see Jaws. That's what I see. Um, and it's exciting to share that with you. Thank you very much for allowing me to for episode 40 here. The movie Jaws is copyrighted property of Universal Studios. Any references and sampling from the movie Jaws in this episode is intended to fall within Section 107 of the Copyright Act. Copyrighted materials are fairly used for the purposes of criticism, comment, reporting, teaching, and research. Materials used here are protected by the various guidelines of Section 107 of the Copyright Act. All rights reserved to the copyright owners. So there's still time to get in line for the Book of Quint. If you go to bookofquint.com, jawsob.com, you can find a way to the Telegram, to the Indiegogo page, and become a sponsor. You can write me here at jawsob2025 at gmail.com. Always nice to hear from you. And uh, 40, 40 episodes, can you believe it? 
How exciting. 40 episodes, and here's to 40 more on the Jaws Obsession. Thank you very much. And if you could like, comment, share, subscribe on this broadcast platform, we really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Until next week, farewell and adieu, and show me the way to go home.